Well, we probably should get started. <clears throat> um, we've gone very slow uh, thus far. It's taken us this long just to get up to not even halfway through the book of Genesis, but we're going to finish the whole book of Genesis um, off here uh, just during the next little bit. And I think one of the important things uh, that really should be emphasized, I don't know how many of you heard uh, the talk by uh, Richard Hayes a few weeks ago, um, but he gave a talk that was really good about four or five ways how not to read the Bible. And, and sometime it would be worthwhile discussing those. Um, I, they were very, very good points. But ultimately, how he said this is the way to read the Bible, which is to read the Bible as a story, first of all, and it is the story about God, in a nutshell. He tells his theology students to put on a post-it, put it on their mirror, and just to write, it's about God. And so it's very helpful, we, we get bogged down if we spend, um, try to get through the Bible and maybe it takes you five months to get through Genesis 20 through 50, uh, you kind of lose the forest for the trees and it can become a little bit discouraging. We're gonna do a lot of reading here. We're just gonna read the story and what, we're, what I wanna ask, or have you think about, is what do these stories say about God? Uh, one other point here before we get started, uh, almost every time someone comes up afterwards and asks, you know, is there somewhere I can get the PowerPoint slides or listen to the audio? And so I'll just mention uh, one more time here, a website, which looks a lot different, so you might want to uh, check it out. It has some things other than just the, the Bible studies here, but if you go to godscharacter.com, you can pull up all of the talks and a whole lot of other stuff. So you might want to um, check that out if you're interested. Okay, so let's pray as we begin. <clears throat> Father, just ask that um, you would come close to us right now. Of course, actually, we know that you're close, but rather help us to open our hearts and minds to you. Uh, we know there are important things for us to learn in the last half of this book, and uh, mainly help us to uh, open our eyes to something uh, new about you and your character just now. Amen. Um, there are two ways, and Alden Thompson talks about this in his book, Who's Afraid of the Old Testament God? Two ways to read sections like this, large passages like this in the Bible. One is called the high road approach. And the high road approach says, well, let's emphasize the positive. Uh, let's try to find the uh, very elevating, inspirational passages that might just encourage you through the week and give you some confidence and uh, inspire your faith. And so we could talk about the faith of Abraham. Uh, we could talk about the uh, very interesting story of how the man went out, Abraham's servant, and how God helped him um, to find a wife for Isaac. And that might encourage you, perhaps, in your studies. We could talk about Jacob fleeing away from his family, and the stairway comes down, and God was there. And, um, I mean, and we should emphasize these. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Or we could talk about the life of Joseph, some uh, incredibly positive things to say about that. So, yes, we want to focus on those, but oftentimes we minimize or forget or try to gloss over the very difficult and painful and ugly truths about some of the uh, great men and women in the Bible. And maybe we'll call that the low road approach. And um, I hope what will come out in this is there actually is great value in going down the low road and acknowledging and recognizing some of the horrible things that uh, the great people in the Bible did. And I think as we'll see, uh, God just looks very good if we look at it that way. 
Let's start talking a little bit, some background, go back to Genesis 16, and we'll talk about um, Hagar and Sarah. <clears throat> Abram's wife Sarah had not borne him any children, but she had an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Why don't you sleep with my slave? Perhaps she can have a child for me. Okay, now is this God's will that Abraham do this? Uh, it becomes very clear later on that it wasn't. But Abraham agree agreed with what Sarah said, so she gave Hagar to him to be his concubine. This happened after Abraham had lived in Canaan for 10 years. Abram had intercourse with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she found out that she was pregnant, she became proud and despised Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abraham, It's your fault that Hagar despises me. I myself gave her to you, and ever since she found out that she was pregnant, she has despised me. May the Lord judge which of us is right, you or me. Abram answered, Very well, she is your slave and under your control. Do whatever you want with her. And then Sarah treated Hagar so cruelly that she ran away. The angel of the Lord met Hagar at a spring in the desert as she's running away, and uh, he reassured Hagar, You'll have a son, call him Ishmael, and I'll make a great nation um, out of him. And uh, the, the theme that I, I hope to build here in the last half of Genesis is what we see the people doing is often not God's will, doing things that are not right, that seem to be moving in a direction away from God. What we see God again and again doing, just like in this story, this wasn't his will, didn't want this to happen. Poor Hagar is fleeing off in the desert, but God meets her. And um, the other interesting point here, the angel of the Lord... We'll try to make a better case for this later, but the angel of the Lord is God himself. And if we just read on, after this encounter, Hagar asked herself, have I really seen God and lived to tell about it? So she called the Lord who had spoken to her, a God who sees. Okay, so this is kind of the background here with Ishmael. Okay, we talked a couple weeks ago about um, Isaac. And uh, so now we have Isaac and Ishmael together which uh, was just not a good situation. Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. And this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. So again, we have a situation that didn't need, they didn't need to have this uh, encounter but, you know, they did something that wasn't God's will, and so now we have this, uh, this problem. Um, how do we deal with it? Well, early the next morning, Abraham took bread and a container of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. He also gave her the boy and sent her on her way. I mean, just imagine sending your son away. So she left and wandered around in the desert near Beersheba. When the water in the container was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went about as far away as an arrow can be shot and sat down. She said to herself, I don't want to watch the boy die. So she sat down and sobbed loudly. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God, there it is again, the angel of God, called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. And so, again, we have a situation. Abraham and Sarah perhaps don't look very good in what they did, but God looks good by the way he stepped in um, to remedy the situation as best as possible. Well, Sarah dies. 
And we read on that Abraham married another woman whose name was Keturah, and she bore him all these children. Okay, was that God's will? And Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still alive, he gave presents to the sons his other wives had borne him. And then he sent these sons to the land of the east, away from his son Isaac. Um, was this a good situation? Now we have Ishmael sent away. We have other sons being sent away. Um, is this setting things up here for a, a good situation? Well, we just read on. Of course, um, Abraham's servant found Rebekah. So we have Isaac and Rebekah. We have Esau and Jacob. And we have another situation here that uh, you can just see this coming, even if you don't even know the story. Isaac preferred Esau. Is that good parenting, where you have a strong preference for one child over another? Is that setting things up for a, a nice, harmonious home? Isaac preferred Esau because he enjoyed eating the animals Esau killed. But Rebekah preferred Jacob. Okay, can you imagine what the, the household was like? Didn't this, didn't, weren't the children aware of this? How did they feel about it? And just the name Jacob means heel grabber or deceiver. And uh, we, we see this in his life, as we'll talk about. Esau married two Hittite women. And we read a little commentary here in the Bible. They made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah, those two wives. Okay, and of course, you know the story of how Jacob really was a deceiver. How he came in when Isaac was very old. And uh, it's amazing to think how hairy Esau must have been if you have to put goat skin over yourself to, um, to, to trick your aging father. But he did deceive Isaac. And he received the blessing. And of course, Esau wanted to kill him. So he fled. And uh, again, taking the Bible as a whole, it's interesting to read commentaries elsewhere in Jeremiah, uh, God is talking about how unfaithful Judah has been. And he would say of them, they are always ready to tell lies, dishonesty instead of truth rules the land. The Lord says, my people do one evil thing after another and do not acknowledge me as their God. Everyone must be on guard against their friends and no one can trust their relatives for all relatives are as deceitful as Jacob. And everyone slanders their friends. But, um, the story of Jacob, unfortunately, gets better, but not right away. Again, as he's fleeing, he's just done something horrible. I mean, God did not want him to get the birthright in this way. It wasn't God's will to do something uh, deceptively. God could have uh, managed this, uh, of course, in a different way. But God still met him, even what he did. Of course, you know the story that he dreamed. He saw a stairway reaching from earth to heaven with angels going up and down on it. And there was the Lord standing beside him. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac, he said. I will give to you and to your descendants this land on which you are lying. Even though he'd just done such a horrible thing. God is still there. I'm with you. I'll bless you. But the prayer that Jacob, Jacob gives, I mean, imagine God came in this spectacular form to you. I mean, wouldn't that be uh, such an incredible feeling to experience that? What kind of a prayer would you give after that experience? Would this be your prayer? Then Jacob made a vow to the Lord. If... You will be with me and protect me on the journey I am making and give me food and clothing. And if I return safely to my father's home, then you will be my God. And imagine praying to God, you know, if I get good grades in medical school, if I'm AOA, if I get into the residency, 
that I choose, then you will be my God. It's really not a prayer of great faith. Well, then he has this incredible encounter, as you know, with Laban. And it's, um, you, you kind of have to wonder about some of these stories. I mean, I, yes, it really happened, but it's sometimes just unbelievable that not until the next morning did Jacob discover that it was Leah. And of course, he'd been tricked. The King James is uh, perhaps more colorful. Behold, it was Leah. Okay? <laughs> and um, so kind of a surprise. And then, of course, uh, he was given Rebecca. And we can again see trouble brewing. Jacob had intercourse with Rachel, and it meant Rachel also, and he loved her more than Leah. Again, a happy home, not just polygamy, but one wife that is highly favored and another is not. Uh, is this a setup for a, a good situation here for the 12 men that would become the 12 tribes of Israel? And then, of course, as uh, Jacob left, he deceived Laban by not letting him know that he was leaving. Still up to the same kind of behavior. Uh, could God have done it another way? Should he have trusted God to take care of it instead of uh, doing this in a deceptive way? Well, and as they're leaving, of course, Rachel does something quite interesting. Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in a camel's saddlebag and was sitting on them. Of course, Laban, remember, caught up with them, and so she's trying to, to hide these gods. But um, we do have to ask here, Jacob, son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham, Jacob whose name would be changed to Israel, uh, you know, Jesus comes through this line, what is his wife doing with household gods? Well, Laban searched through the whole tent, but did not find them. And Rachel said to her father, Do not be angry with me, sir, but I am not able to stand up in your presence. I am having my monthly period. And Laban searched, but did not find his household gods. Why, why are we having household gods in this family? And so, uh, of course, Jacob is scared to death of Esau as he's traveling back. And Jacob prayed. Now listen to this prayer. Does it sound like perhaps Jacob is changing? God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, hear me. You told me, Lord, to go back to my land and to my relatives, and you would make everything go well for me. I am not worth all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown me. And isn't that true? Despite his deceptive behavior, that God has shown him all of this kindness and faithfulness. I'm not worth all of that. Your servant. I crossed the Jordan with nothing but a walking stick, and now I have come back with these two groups, with many things. Um, this prayer shows a change from Bethel, where if you go with me, if you do this, if you do that, then you'll be my God. Uh, now it seems like there's some humility. And of course, at this time he has this encounter. A man came and wrestled with him until just before daybreak. When the man saw that he was not winning the struggle, he hit Jacob on the hip, and it was thrown out of joint. The man said, Let me go. Daylight is coming. And Jacob said, I won't unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Now, does the man not know Jacob's name? I mean, we can see here, uh, again, the, the descriptive language. Could the man not win against Jacob? Did he not know his name? But he says, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You have struggled with God and with men, and you have won. So your name will be Israel. And Jacob said, 
Now, tell me your name. But he answered, Why do you want to know my name? And then he blessed Jacob. And Jacob said, I have seen God face to face, and I am still alive. And I think we can make a very good case that that man who spent the whole night wrestling around with Jacob was God, who's the God of the Old Testament, uh, the Son of God. And again, who looks good in these stories? Jacob or God willing to spend the whole night wrestling around in the dirt um, with Jacob? So I think God looks good, and, and we often don't look very good. Uh, at least humanity doesn't in the Bible. So Jacob and his 12 sons go out to this land, and uh, one of his daughters, Dinah, is raped. But then the man who raped her decided he actually loved her, and he wanted to marry her. And, uh, but Jacob's sons, in particular Levi and Simeon, are very upset about this. And they said to the men of this village, we cannot let our sister marry a man who's not circumcised. Of course, this was a trick. That would be a disgrace for us. We can agree only on the condition that you become like us by circumcising all your males. And can you imagine this whole town, they circumcised all the men so that Dinah could marry uh, this man. Three days later, when the men were still sore from their circumcision, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, the brothers of Dinah, took their swords, went into the city without arousing suspicion, and killed all the men. And we sometimes we think of names like Levi, the Levites, who were the priests. And then we consider the person of who Levi really was at this time. Um, rather shocking that they would do things like this. Again, this was not God's will. What does God do with a people who are so far away from the ideal of his kingdom? Well, we just read on one verse. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have gotten me into trouble. Now the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and everyone else in the land will hate me. I do not have many men. If they all band together against me and attack me, our whole family will be destroyed. And the next verse is this. God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel at once and live there. Build an altar there to me. The God who appeared to you when you were running away from your brother Esau. And what's the point? God is saying, I'm still with you. And again, who looks good in the story? Jacob and his sons or God who is still um, sticking with them despite their behavior? And it just gets worse. I mean, it's, it's painful to read this, but, but I think we, we, we have to see it if we're going to, by contrast, see God. A few chapters later, while Jacob was living in that land, Reuben had sexual intercourse with Bilhah, one of his father's concubines. Jacob heard about it and was furious. I mean, you just think of the behavior that was going on. And then, the same kind of behavior. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Again, great parenting here, that we elevate one. I mean, it's just setting things up for trouble. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. And uh, is there no wonder that the other brothers were so jealous of Joseph in this setting? And so you know the story, how Joseph went out to find them, and they threw him in a pit and tried to decide what to do with him. And when Joseph came up to his brothers, they ripped off his long robe with full sleeves. Then they took him and threw him into the well, which was dry. And while they were eating, they suddenly saw a group of Ishmaelites traveling from Gilead to Egypt. They just find it kind of interesting, the Ishmaelites. Hagar was an Egyptian. 
and she found an Egyptian wife to marry Ishmael. And so here we have these descendants of Ishmael and these descendants of um, Isaac meeting here at the pit. Okay, and so a group of Ishmaelites who were traveling to Egypt. Their camels were loaded with spices and resins. And Judah, I mean, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother and covering up the murder? Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites. Then we won't have to hurt him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And even before we get to the story of what happened with Joseph in Egypt, we just read on about Judah, the person who just said that, that he married a Canaanite woman. And then uh, another shocking story. I'm sorry to just read all this. It's from the Bible. I mean, the Bible is R-rated, really, if we want to make a movie out of all of this, uh, these passages. Judah saw a woman that he thought was a prostitute. And when he saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute because she had her face covered. He went over to her at the side of the road and said, All right, how much do you charge? He did not know that she was his daughter-in-law, whose name was Tamar. And about three months later, someone told Judah, Your daughter-in-law Tamar has been acting like a whore, and now she is pregnant. And Judah ordered, Take her out and burn her to death. Uh, not realizing that this, this was his daughter-in-law that he had slept with, and that he was actually the father. Well, some good did come out of this, of course. We know the story of Joseph, and how eventually, after all this time in prison and working for Potiphar, that he was able to, um, uh, to meet Pharaoh, and eventually became the second most powerful person in the kingdom. And then, of course, you remember how he had the encounter with his brothers, and everyone broke down and cried. And after he reveals to them, I'm your brother, he sent them back to, uh, to get Jacob, to bring him back, and he has these words of advice to his brothers. He sent his brothers off as they left, and he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Do you think these brothers occasionally quarreled um, along the way? And Joseph had to tell them, uh, hey, don't do that um, when you go back to, to get my father. And so they all come back to Egypt, and uh, Jacob dies. And after his death, Joseph's brothers, they're afraid. And they said, what if Joseph still hates us and plans to pay us back for all the harm we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph. Before our father died, he told us to ask you, please forgive the crime your brothers committed when they wronged you. Now please forgive us the wrong that we, the servants of your father's God, have done. Joseph cried when he received the message. And then his brothers themselves came and bowed down before him. Here we are before you as your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. I can't put myself in the place of God. And the book of Genesis ends with exactly the point I'm hoping to make. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. We see horrible evil among God's own chosen people in this last half of Genesis, and God is somehow uh, able to make good out of the situation. It's pretty remarkable. And it gets even more remarkable when we consider that we read the genealogy of Jesus and we look through these names. Oftentimes we just skip over these passages because just a whole bunch of names. Well, let's read it. This is the list of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, who was a descendant of Abraham. From Abraham to King David, the following ancestors are listed. Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob. Now we remember some of the stories about Jacob. Judah. And we remember the stories about Judah and his brothers. Then Perez and Zerah, their mother was Tamar. And we remember the story of Tamar. And we, we skip along down to Salmon and Boaz. His mother was Rahab. What was Rahab's occupation? Uh, prostitute. Obed, his mother was Ruth. Uh, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. Remember who worshipped the god Moab before she um, converted, if we want to call it that. Jesse and King David. Later on, we'll talk about some of the things that King David did. And we read on from David to the time when the people of Israel were taken into exile in Babylon. The following ancestors are listed. David, Solomon, and it just seems like Matthew can't bear to write it down. And he just says it this way. His mother was the woman who had been Uriah's wife. And who's that talking about? Bathsheba. Um, why can't he just write her name? Almost seems like it's such a horrible story that David slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. And Uriah wasn't just some no-name. He was a close associate of David. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ. We read on Rehoboam, who split the kingdoms apart. Manasseh, who killed so many people that the streets flowed with blood. Um, it's terrible, but at the same time, I think it's quite wonderful that, I mean, none of us can choose our parents, but that Jesus would be associated with a list of characters like this, I think is actually quite good news. We skip ahead to Revelation. We read about the 144,000. And they were from the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is uh, symbolism here. But 12,000 from each tribe, and there they are again, those 12 brothers. Okay, it should be encouraging to us that you know, God is gracious to really associate with these people. And I think in the end we should see God bringing great good out of a horrible, horrible um, situation. So I like this quote here from Paul Tournier, who said, The most wonderful thing in this world is not the good that we accomplish, but the fact that good can come out of the evil we do. I have been struck, for example, by the number of people who have been brought back to God under the influence of a person to whom they have had some imperfect attachment. Our vocation is, I believe, to build good out of evil. For if we try to build good out of good, we are in danger of running out of raw materials. And so God seems pretty uh, uh, adept here at building good out of our evil. And of course, Paul, kind of along this line, would say, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God doesn't make the evil, okay? But he works with us in our separation from him and in the things that we're doing wrong and, and eventually is able to bring good out of that. But uh, one last point that I think is very important here is that God paid a price by doing this. Uh, by associating with these people, by sticking with these people, it did affect his reputation. Uh, when we talk about the God of the Old Testament, I think the reason that's even a question, the God of the Old Testament, is because God didn't abandon these people. He stuck with them. And it did, in a sense, trash his reputation. And the strongest verse on that here in Ezekiel, and this is after the whole Babylonian captivity and such a good translation of this passage in Ezekiel 36. These are God's words. Wherever they went, they gave me a bad name. People said, these are God's people, but they got kicked off his land. 
I suffered much pain over my holy reputation, which the people of Israel blackened in every country they entered. Therefore tell Israel, I'm not doing this for you, Israel. I'm doing it for me, to save my character, my holy name, which you've blackened in every country where you've gone. I'm going to put my great and holy name on display, the name that has been ruined in so many countries, the name that you blackened wherever you went. And of course, how did God ultimately reveal to us what He's really like? It's not clear when we see God stooping um, to meet people uh, where they happen to be at this time. Of course, ultimately, that's in Jesus. But the Old Testament, in a nutshell, uh, is this, where God would say, the people of Israel are as stubborn as mules. How can I feed them like lambs in a meadow? So when, when you stoop to reach a stubborn mule, don't you have to use methods? How do you reach a stubborn, stubborn mule? You can't talk softly. Um, you need to use measures that might seem shocking to us. But again, I think just the fact that he's sticking with um, stubborn mules, and we might be stubborn mules sometimes too, um, but it, it again says something about God. So God in the end came to vindicate his character. And this is not a neuroembryology uh, review, but have you ever considered that God, as he became a human, went through these stages of development? Um, you know, from very, just a few cells, developing inside the womb of one of his sinful children. We look at the brain in development at six months in utero. We don't even have the folds in the brain. It's a smooth surface. We consider an EEG. Okay, this is a 26-week premature. The brainwave activity is, uh, I know you don't know exactly what a normal EEG looks like, but this is a very chaotic, abnormal, um, well, normal for 26 weeks, but this is not a fully developed electrical brain activity. Um, that God would actually condescend to be at that stage uh, to meet us and to eventually become a helpless baby dependent on one of his own children for food, diaper change. And I think the ultimate example, of course, of making good out of evil. I mean, the worst evil. If you're going to point to one time as the worst, in a sense, the worst moment in human history, it really was when the creatures rose up and killed their creator. It's the worst evil. And Jesus faced that worst evil and only returned it with love, goodness, forgiveness. Uh, it's the ultimate demonstration of making good out of evil. Isn't this the pinnacle thing we keep coming back to? Uh, it really did change the world forever. So uh, next time, we will talk about the book of Exodus. And if you want to read, uh, just look over the plagues and we'll try to, to struggle with uh, the plagues of Egypt. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much that um, even as we look at some of the worst stories in the Bible, at least in terms of human behavior, uh, that behind it all we see a God who is there, who is helping, who is um, just doing incredible things like uh, wrestling in the night and uh, things that we sometimes don't imagine that God would do things like that. Uh, but thank you that you are that way. Help us now as we continue to uh, search deeper for who you really are. Amen.